0: It's wonderful to be with you again. Um, we are continuing our series, and there are some sheets coming out. Um, because of this series on emotional and spiritual health, has quite a lot of information. We've been sort of supplying sheets so that hopefully you don't have to sort of desperately try and remember everything. Um, if you've missed any of the talks before now, they are all available online. It's very much part of a, part of a sort of sequence series going through this book by Peter Scazzaro. Um, called emotionally healthy spirituality today's talk is called stopping to breathe the air of eternity or another way of putting it would be discovering the daily office and the sabbath now by the daily office i don't mean the office that you work in okay that is a term that means setting aside time each day several times a day to be with god Okay, So we're talking about prayer, and what some people might call quiet times, and we're talking about Sabbath rest. I'll explain more about that in a minute, but just let's catch up on where we are in this series. We have said about this series that really what this says is it's impossible to be spiritually mature and yet to remain emotionally immature. We've been challenged to stop hiding behind masks of pretense, to start to become real about how we're actually feeling, to become our authentic selves. We've been challenged to reflect honestly on our past and acknowledge patterns that we've learned from our families and other key influences on our lives. And we have been challenged to seek to live out perhaps a different story to the one that we learned growing up for some of us. We've been challenged to press into God. Paul spoke a few weeks ago about hitting the wall, about facing real crises, what happens when everything falls apart. And how we practice waiting on him and finding our joy and strength in Jesus again. And then um, last week, Chris looked at how we experience grief. How when we experience grief and loss, we begin to come to terms with the reality of the limits in our lives. And I love the analogy that he shared with us last week about rather than running west and chasing the sunset and trying to squeeze every last bit out, actually running east into the darkness towards the sunrise if you missed that talk I'd uh, strongly encourage you to uh, listen to it it was really great pressing into the darkness truly expressing our emotions fully embracing our limits if Mother's Day is a tough day for you and I'm sure it is for some of us it's a great moment just to sit as as we were just praying and be with God and push into that rather than run away from it and so all of that's been quite challenging Are are you feeling challenged you should be, if you've been engaging with this series at all, you should be feeling challenged. And, um, and that's a good thing, because growing in emotional health is challenging. Discipleship is not easy. But we're not on our own. And the good news is, um, for those of you who've been waiting for the contemplative spirituality bit of the series to kick in, you'll be delighted to know it starts today. Um, Skazaro starts his chapter... With this phrase, we live in a blizzard and few of us have a rope. I'm going to read you a little section from his book. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer relates a story about farmers in the Midwest of America who would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure that they could return safely home. The blizzards came quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of his or her hand. Many froze to death in those blizzards. Disorientated by their inability to see, they wandered in circles, lost sometimes in their own backyards. If they lost their grip on the rope, it became impossible for them to find their way home some froze within feet of their own front door, never realising just how close they were to safety. And to this day, in parts of Canada and the Great Plains of America, meteorologists counsel people that to avoid getting lost in the blinding snow, when you venture outside, tie one end of a long rope to your house and hold the other end tightly. In weather terms, we probably won't see snow like that over here. We had a little bit of a... (laughs) an attempt at it last week didn't we but um you know we enjoyed a bit of sledging in our family but um but in our emotional and spiritual life it's fair to say that for many of us we find we're living in a blizzard for much of the time blizzards start when we say yes to too many things and most of us many of us probably say yes to too many things and i very much include myself in that We cope with the demands of work and family and friendships and community and church. For most people, our lives are lived somewhere between full and overflowing. And our culture seems to have developed such that people spend a lot of their time rushing from one thing to the next, cramming in as many things as possible. We work hard. We multitask. We're doing three things at once. I wonder why it is that we rush through life. I looked up some stuff online and found this article in the Huffington Post written by a lady who was a That's not moving for me. Oh, there we go. Uh, Written by a lady who was a meditation coach. Just on reasons why we rush through life. Maybe it's a habit that we've got into. It's just unconscious and addictive and we're just doing it. Maybe it's avoidance and we're trying to step away or avoid dealing with our real feelings and our real fears. Constant movement can be a distraction away from unease or discomfort or pain. Maybe it's self-importance. Maybe we're rushing because we want to feel valuable in other people's eyes. Or maybe we just like being busy. We have multiple responsibilities, but we have to feel productive and needed. Maybe we're in competition. We're trying to control the environment and you know others are gonna move on. Others are gonna get ahead of us if we if we don't stay in the game. Or maybe the opposite, we're shallow and we're lazy, and it's actually easier to be on automatic pilot than it is to actually slow down and consciously engage with people because that takes effort and intention or maybe we just feel the pressure of voices in our past maybe it's parents or others in society maybe our bosses you've got to do a voice that says you've got to do something to be loved or maybe it's a false perception and we just think the grass is greener somewhere else hey complete this sentence for me the grass is always greener It's not true the grass is greener where it's watered yeah it's a myth that the grass is greener on the other side it's rubbish the grass is greener where it's watered it's true for all of us that once sometimes we need a rope to guide us through the blizzard of life and some of these reasons and feelings are you know things that we need to think about in terms of our own emotional health A rope that will guide us home through the craziness, a rope that will consistently take us back to God, where we can center ourselves again regularly in order to get perspective on the many voices and priorities that are competing for our attention and our time. And the daily office and the Sabbath, which we're going to talk about today, are ropes in the blizzard. They're actually ancient disciplines that go back thousands of years. Skazara says this, when placed inside present-day Christianity... The daily office and the Sabbath are groundbreaking countercultural acts against Western culture. They are powerful declarations about God, ourselves, our friendships, our relationships, our beliefs, and our values. These are disciplines that help us go deeper in our relationship with God. We've been talking about some pretty tough issues in the past few weeks. Grief and loss and revisiting the past and all of that. Let's just have a reality check. How many of you, and I'm not going to ask you to share any details of this, but how many of you have become aware of the past few weeks of something, some issue or habit or pattern, could be a really big thing, could be a really small thing, something that needs to change in terms of our own emotional health and growth? Just something that you feel like God has put his finger on as we've been working through this series. I'm not going to make you share it with anybody, but just show me. I just want a reality check. Just stick your hands up in the air. How many of you become aware of things? Brilliant. Thank you, for sh- thank you for letting me know that. It's really good to know that This stuff's going in. I wonder what our response has been when we've realized that there's something in our life that needs to change. I wonder how we're beginning to address those issues that are resonating for us, that God is highlighting. Have you told anyone about it? Have you shared it with a close friend, a prayer partner, someone in a life group, someone else that we really trust? Have we thought about seeking more kind of in-depth help, some kind of counseling or ministry maybe? you see we have an incredible team here that Mervyn and Clarely the Streams of Hope team they are very wise and godly and trained and experienced in helping people deal with issues like this come before God and help him sort them out I haven't really mentioned them very much during this series because I was slightly afraid they'd be inundated if I did and they're really great at helping people move on who get stuck somewhere and if something's come up for you recently and you just don't know how to move forward with it, if you just don't know how to get anywhere with it, then they could be great, that could be a great option for you. Grab a brochure, go and speak to one of the the team. But the other reason that I haven't mentioned them yet is because fundamentally for most of us, I honestly believe that our relationship with Jesus can be and should be enough to help us get through anything that God is pointing his finger at. I asked this question a few weeks ago, um, something I pondered a, a few times in my life. What if I lost everything, a bit like Job in the in the story Chris was reading last week. What if I'm sitting there I mean I'm talking desert island stuff and not even with the eight records that you're allowed to take with you? Just just nothing. You know, it's just me and my relationship with God, and there is nothing else. No family, no friends, no job, no possessions. Is my relationship with Jesus enough to sustain me in that circumstance? It's a really challenging question. And so how I manage to grow through the things that God is highlighting depends entirely on the quality and depth of my relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? Many Christians struggle with the issue of developing their relationship with God, of spending time with God. It's very common that believers would report feeling stuck in our spiritual journey with Jesus or living off other people's spirituality. Spirituality. Or feeling scattered, or fragmented, or uncentered, or just feeling tired, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe you're one of these people, and some people report this: that they feel like their spirituality is just about an inch deep, you know, and it needs to be deeper. Maybe it's just that we find it as hard to pray and commune with God. It's we're busy. We're struggling to put a stop to our life on the run. I'm just going to put it out there and be honest and say that throughout my 30 years as an adult um, and a Christian, I have struggled to find a way to consistently relate to God and spend enough quality time with him. I've had seasons when it's been fantastic. I've had other seasons when it's been quite tough. I've tried a range of strategies and patterns and resources, and there are some great tools out there. Especially now with the internet and smartphones and all, all of that stuff. I've tried sitting and reading the Bible for 20 minutes a day. I've tried getting up early. doesn't usually work. Often falling asleep. I've tried prayer walks. I've tried listening to worship music. I love to journal. I only really find time to do it every few days. Every few weeks sometimes. But the times when I have felt most consistently relaxed. Most consistently growing and close to God. And in a good place and at peace. Have been when I've managed to do something like the daily office and the Sabbath that I'm talking about today I'm not standing here as an expert but all the leaders I know and I listen to a lot of leaders talk and of the ones who I know who are most relaxed and most prolific they all seem to have something like this as a practice in their daily routine John and Debbie Wright who lead our movement they lead a church and a movement and do some other stuff and if they can make time in their schedule of all that craziness and all that work and all that busyness to just sit and be with God and to deliberately take a Sabbath every week Then I I kind of feel like I should as well I can see the depth that it brings Skazara says stopping for the daily off in the Sabbath is not meant to add another to do to our already busy schedules it's the resetting of our lives of our entire lives towards a new destination destination God it's an entirely new way of being in the world These are ropes that lead us back to God through the blizzards of life, anchors for living in the hurricane of the demands. And when they're done as a, I want to do this, rather than than, I have to do this, they offer us a rhythm for our lives that binds us to the living God. Now, what is the daily office? Some people call it fixed prayer, some call it the divine office or the liturgy of the hours. But it is different to what we might refer to as just a quiet time or as a devotion. You know what? We might describe the purpose of a quiet time being, I'm going to be filled up with God for the day ahead of me. Or I'm going to talk to God about the needs that I see around me. And those are really good things. They're not wrong, but the roots of the office, the daily office, aren't turning to God to get something. It's turning to God to be with someone. There's a subtle but really important difference. The word office comes from the Latin word opus, which means work. For the early church, the daily office is the work of God, an act of offering by the created to the creator, a sacrifice of prayer and praise, which nothing else is to interfere with. So the work of God, and it sounds funny, but the work of God is to be with God and to minister to God. It's for us. So two or three times over the past few years, I've spent some time in a monastery, on retreat I once spent four days in a Franciscan friary it's kind of weird because they don't really talk very much (laughs) I didn't know what to do with that (laughs) Um, you join this community of monks as they go about their prayer and work and study and reflection and they have this daily prayer rhythm which as far as I can remember meant whenever the bell went which was about five times every day going into the chapel and uh, praying and worshipping Um, And going through a whole bunch of stuff. And all work stops when that bell goes. And the day is centred around these times. And yes, they do work as well. And yes, they do study and reading. And I can hear you thinking already, yes, Nigel. Yeah, all that. that, Yeah, we've heard about all that. But is it really in the Bible? And the answer is yes, it is. You see, King David, it says in the Bible, prayed seven times a day. The verse is on your sheet. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. It was just his daily routine. Seven times a day. Daniel, you know, Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Why did he get thrown into the lion's den? Because he refused to stop praying three times a day. That was his rhythm. Three times a day it says he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. In Jesus' time, devout Jews would pray two or three times a day. Jesus most likely followed that custom. Rising early going to the synagogue. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples continued this custom. We read in Acts 3 that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. We read in Acts 10 that about noon the following day as they were approaching the city on their journey, Peter went up to the roof to pray. So there were times in the day, in this case it seemed to be noon and three o'clock and there were some others, when people would stop and pray. They wouldn't perhaps pray for very long, I don't know, but the regular stopping to pray was all part of the biblical custom. And in the 5th century, a monk named Benedict sort of structured this around something called the daily office. He had eight daily offices, including one in the nighttime. And he wrote this rule, the rule of Benedict in the 5th century, which has kind of formed the basis of uh, communities of faith for centuries. And there are Benedictine communities that still follow this. Here's a schedule I found online okay here you go this is how I hope you can see that in the winter it starts at 2.30am uh, and I've just put in red the different the, they've got some funny names for them they're all in sort of Latin but there are uh, so they pray at 3am 6am 8am 12 midday 1.30 4.15 and 6.15 that's 7 you get a uh, mind you you get a lion in the winter it's even worse in the summer if you look you have to get up even earlier. Yeah. The Anglican prayer book that um, many of our uh, fellow believers use makes provision for morning, daytime, evening, and night prayer. They even got an app you can download and follow if you want. So, what am I suggesting? I can see horrors, looks of horror on your face. So, the new vision for our church is we're all going to get up at two in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, you think I'm joking. (laughs) There are no hard and fast rules. I want to throw out to you some suggested guidelines. This is a tool to help, but it could be an incredible, incredibly life-giving tool. There's great power in setting aside small units of time during the day and evening. I find my days go better when I connect with God deliberately and specifically through the day. It doesn't have to be very long, but it weaves around the fabric of the day. And me, personally, I try and aim for twice in a day you can do this uh, for as long as you like as many times as you like the point is not to get legalistic about it however you choose to do this however we choose to do this there are four elements that we should build in okay and the first one is stopping how many times do we stop during the day and actually the number of times that we stop to pray is less important to God than The fact that when we do pray, we're not rushing, that our time is unhurried. So if you can manage to stop once in the day, but you can not rush, be blessed, guys, be healed. (laughs) Go for it. Um, That's really important, just to tune in and connect with God. You know, I was part of a team before Christmas and we put on this really fantastic event. It was a new event. It was called a a Civic Prayer Breakfast. Uh, We um, hosted this breakfast. We had some speakers come and we had sort of people from business and charity and all sorts come. not there were some believers there and there were a lot of non-believers there and we were talking about our city and every time i went to the meetings about this civic prayer breakfast i went to quite a few there were six of us on the team they would insist on stopping at the start of every meeting for four minutes and they timed it and they were like we're going to have four minutes of silence before we start this meeting and like "I, i i'm i arrive at meetings and i'm ready to talk Actually, I'm always ready to talk, so, you know, but I'm ready to like, come on, let's get this thing done, what are the plans, what's going on? And every time, the first few times, I was like, really, do we have to do this? I didn't say that out loud. Um, I, just, I just sat there, and, um, and, then, and then we would spend another five, six minutes going around and saying, what did you feel like God shared with you? What did you feel like God said? What did you hear? And it was really quite a discipline to tune into God, but it was really quite life-giving. The event went really well. We got all the work done. And I find it really ironic that I should find that tricky because with Mabu on the other foot, I personally really hate it when I'm in any kind of relationship and feeling rushed or squeezed, squeezed in. You know, um, for those of you who've done that whole thing with love languages, my love language is quality time. And so if I'm in a conversation and there isn't enough time for quality time... I just usually just retract a little bit and withdraw, because I'm like, well, if people's attention is elsewhere, that's fine, but I'm, I'm not going to give myself completely. My wife and daughter are smiling at each other now. Central to the challenge of stopping is the principle that I am giving up control of my time, and I can trust God to run his world without me for just a few minutes. It's really important to stop. Another thing that's really important to do is center. Oh no, they're all there. Sorry, my apologies. Is centering. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46, it's great to take a few minutes just to quietly center and let go of the tension, the distractions, the feelings, and just rest in the love of God. This is what mindfulness does. It just helps you to... Focus and be in the moment and be there with God. It can be really helpful to sit straight and still and breathe deeply and do those things that naturally will help and then maybe close your eyes. And when my mind starts to wander, I just start to pray, Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Or I just start to repeat the name of Jesus softly under my breath. And you know what? If nothing else happens in that moment, it's just a great moment to be with God and to relax. And another thing that's really important to do is just to take some time to be silent. And I've added, and solitude. Solitude is kind of, it's pretty hard to be silent when you're not in solitude. But silence and solitude are probably the most challenging and radical disciplines in the whole Christian life. I'm defining solitude as the practice of being absent from people and things to attend to God. So it's stepping away from everything else. And silence is the practice of quieting every inner and outer voice to attend to God Orin Nguyen said without solitude it's almost impossible to live a spiritual life and that's incredibly challenging because we live in a world of noise and distraction it says here the average group can only bear a silence of about 15 seconds I was going to put it to the test but I haven't got time (laughs) Prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah suffered a suicidal depression. He was on the run from a murderous queen Jezebel and he really needed to meet with God. I mean, he really needed to. So he ran away, runs to the mountains, and an angel appears and says, Look, you just got to just stand there and wait. I'm just going to read to you from 1 Kings 19. It says, He said, Go and stand on the mount before the Lord. And, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after a wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. A low whisper, or sometimes translated as a still, small voice. The actual literal translation is the sound of sheer silence. I'm not quite sure how you translate that Exactly. Or accurately, although I think Simon and Garfunkel had a go at writing a song about it. But God spoke in the stillness after the chaos. And there's a a word for us there. Is that in stillness, after the chaos, God speaks. And the purpose of the daily office is not necessarily for God to speak all the time. But that does invariably happen when we quieten down and attend to him and hear his voice. And then the last thing is the Bible. Most daily offices are based on working through the Psalms, which were the prayer book of Israel. And if you cover them systematically, it's a pretty comprehensive way to go. But there's no hard and fast rules about reading the Bible. My advice is just to follow some kind of system, rather than picking passages at random. Use a tool, use an app, use a book. I've put some apps and and websites and things there on your sheet. Um, I've been using this, which is the uh, book that accompanies this, series. I've just gone through the first few and it's life-giving. and It's so easy. So easy to use. An ancient rhythm, a simple strategy that can completely, form our, completely transform our spiritual life. Why don't we just pause for a minute? Why don't we just be quiet? I don't have time to go into the whole deal, but why don't we just take a minute now and just be in the moment And just centre ourselves again on God. For no other reason than to just be there with him. Just take note of your breathing. Take note of what God might be saying or not saying. Just take note of your thoughts. But most of all, just enjoy his company. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come out of that. I find that my day goes much better when I make space, to just be quiet. Just to still everything down. It's a challenge. Sometimes finding a quiet place is a challenge. I have to set my alarm to do it, to make myself do it. the second ancient practice is the practice of the Sabbath and Chris did a great talk about the Sabbath just last summer you can listen back to that so just by way of reminder the word Sabbath is a Hebrew word which means to stop, to cease and in Genesis 2 we read this that on the seventh day God finished his work that he'd done and he rested on the seventh day he rested from all his work so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The Lord set aside one day in seven to rest. As Gazara says, make no, make, us, make no mistake, keeping the command to Sabbath is both radical and extremely difficult in our everyday lives. It cuts to the core of our spirituality, it cuts to the core of our convictions the core of our faith the core of our lifestyle it's pretty alien to our culture that people would set aside a whole day 24 hours to rest and delight in God it's really tempting to think of this as an optional extra but the truth is it's absolutely essential to our discipleship and if living in our crazy messed up world is like a blizzard with so much potential to get lost in the storm then the sabbath is the rope that leads us home It's not just an incredible invitation, though. It's actually a command, one of the Ten Commandments, right next to not lying, not murdering, and not committing adultery. You can look it up, and I have it on here. You probably won't be able to see it very well because it's quite small. I wanted to fit all of the commands on one page because I wanted to show you just how much detail God went into about how to keep the Sabbath compared to all the other commands. You know, have no other gods before me. Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't steal. Verse 4, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall do, you not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them the sea, and he rested on the seventh day, and he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God is very specific about the rules around sabbath and how to keep it he worked he rested we work we're supposed to rest his work was to bring order out of chaos he created the heavens and the earth resting was the climax of his week and whatever you're doing whatever your work is whatever your work is you will be bringing order out of chaos because we're made in his image and therefore the day of rest is supposed to be a climax for our week too for Israel's the very act of stopping work in the middle of the surrounding nations was a sign that God had freed them because it didn't happen when they were slaves in Egypt. It was a sign of liberation, that we don't have to work seven days a week. It was a sign that they could trust God to protect them while they made time to be with him. And for us, the very act of refusing to buy into the enormous pressure our culture puts on us is also a sign that we are a free people liberated, being called out of a world that's trying to prove its value and worth by what it does or by what it owns. So Sabbath says, we are loved by God for who we are, not for what we do. And just like when we stop in the daily office, again, when we stop in the Sabbath, it's our way of saying, God can run, God can run his world without us. We can trust him. He is the center and the course of our lives, the beginning, the middle, and the end. So I just want to finish by looking at principles of a biblical Sabbath. Because again, like with the daily office, there's a danger of legalism here. And there are plenty of people whose jobs mean that they can't observe a Sabbath on a Sunday, for example. Or even a Saturday. Jesus observed the Sabbath, but he also preached and healed on that day. You know, And what constitutes work for you might be different for someone else. And some of us have to choose different days. Joe and I, for example... Um, usually have our Sabbath on a Wednesday when we have a day off together. Some people like to start in the evening and go through to the next evening. Some people like to take the whole day. However it works for you, this is not about dictating some set of rules. But here are four principles about Sabbath, biblically. Most of us are unable to stop until we've finished whatever it is we think we're doing, the project that we're working on. We think, oh, everything's got to be finished. Our emails have to be answered. Our phones have to, messages have to be replied to. The bills have to be paid. The house has to be clean. One more goal. One more goal. Last week, Chris was talking about embracing limits. And Sabbath is about saying, I am limited and I need to stop. And God is God and he's running things and I am not indispensable. The way that I've come to terms with this is just by having to adjust my expectations. I can't think of a single week when I've taken my day off or a single time I've gone into a holiday without having a, a pretty substantial to-do list outstanding i've had to learn that that's okay it's okay to leave that stuff long ago i learned there will always be things on my task list it used to make me really sad and stressed and i've just kind of had to learn this is about sabbath it's about getting back to be with god it's about resting and i don't need to worry about those things it's a massive core issue. So stopping is the first thing. Resting again. Just like God rested, we're called to rest. And it, what constitutes rest for me might not constitute rest for you. For me, it looks like doing exercise, having a nap, reading a book, watching a movie, going for a walk or going out for some food. Or, and it also means avoiding my emails, my phone, my computer as much as possible. It means not rushing. It means taking more time over relationships and the people in my life, trying to have nice meals with our family trying not to do any jobs. And in order to make that happen, it means that another day I have to do the jobs. You have to prepare for this. There's a list on your sheet of things that you might want to consider resting from. Did I put this up here? No, I didn't. Apologies, that's for later. Um, A list on your sheet, things you could also consider resting from, work or hurriedness or competitiveness. It's not just about specifically about working, it's about making choices so that I can just be relaxed and preparation to say it's okay just to chill now for some of us it might mean that the people that we it'll have an impact on the people around us and the people we're responsible for for us it might mean that our children can't do a particular activity but there is benefit for everyone if we rest it's about respecting our humanity about respecting the image of God in us The third thing is delight. And Sabbath is also about delighting in what we've been given. You know, when God finished his creation work, he declared, it is good. He said, this is really good. And so part of Sabbath is delighting in the good. Delighting in what God's put in your life. Slowing down. Paying attention to things. Taking time to enjoy enjoy and taste our food. Observe the beauty of creation. Using all our senses I remember somebody who used to say that they, they would take their family on uh, worship walks. Instead of worshipping in church, they'd go out and worship God in creation and just look at what had, they could see and look at what God had made. And the Sabbath, if it isn't, I mean, isn't the Sabbath about that, if it isn't about anything? Walking slowly, taking time to stop and talk to people, having conversations, not being in a rush, and about healthy play. Whatever it is that you do that really, maybe it's physically exhausting, but it puts you in a completely different space. Maybe it's sports or dance or games or trips or hobbies or fun. Something that takes you into a different headspace. I let you into a secret. Whenever I go on a holiday, I always read a crime novel at the start of my holiday. Because um, it just kind of takes my head into a different space. I love a good story. I love a good narrative. And, um, And I find I'm much more relaxed after I spent a couple of days reading a reading a crime novel (laughs) because I've completely stopped thinking about work and emails and stuff and lastly contemplating contemplating the last biblical principle of biblical sabbath is you see this isn't just a day off in a secular sense you can take a day off and you can achieve a lot of the things that we've just talked about you can achieve some sort of physical and emotional you know um strength by just taking a day off but this is more than that the sabbath is holy to the lord and so part of the sabbath is contemplating and thinking about the love of god that's kind of traditionally why people come to church on a sunday down the centuries people christians have included time on the sabbath to worship together to read the bible together and to keep some silence just like we've been doing today and sabbath is also a time to remember that there's an eternity waiting ahead of us that there's an incredible worship Party going on, we've got an incredible future. And when we worship here, it's just a little foretaste of that to keep our perspective, to remind ourselves what's happening, what, we look for, what we've got to look forward to one day when the kingdom comes. And so if you don't already do this, I would strongly encourage you to develop as a way of life a Sabbath and maybe some kind of daily office. You know, just try planning it. These things have to be planned, they have to be written in the diary. They have to be prepared for. Why not just... and, 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 you know, there's no set answers. Figure out what works in your context. And then maybe just try it for a couple of months and see how it changes your life. Taking a Sabbath. Not just, oh, I'm just not... It's not just an absence of work. It's deliberately doing these things. Stopping, resting, delighting, or contemplating God. Make a plan. Try it. It's like... This is quite relevant. It says in the book... The Sabbath is like receiving the gift of a snow day every week. <laughs> and I'm talking a proper snow day where everything is shut, the roads are impassable, and, and there's no guilt. There's no kind of, oh, I'm supposed to be at work, but I'm not. This is just, look, everything's stopped, go and play. The gift of a free day to do whatever you want with no obligations, no pressure, no responsibility. And you have permission. And God invites us to do this every week, 52 weeks a year. That's over seven weeks, that's 52 days in a year. That's over seven weeks of resting and playing and chilling out. And imagine if you're doing that every week for 24 hours out of the week. Imagine what effect doing that once a week deliberately is going to have on the rest of our lives. Because then we're stopping and we're resting and we're delighting. And the daily office is like having a mini Sabbath three times a day. And imagine, imagine how much our lives are weaved in with God and what he's doing and the fabric of that. I promise you, this isn't just some old idea from the monks. This is something that will improve the quality and depth of our relationship with God, which in turn will help us to work out our stuff as we grow in emotional maturity last analogy and I promise I'm stopping and you've heard me say this before I've said it a few times but I can't think of a better analogy than the garden hoe which I heard once Alan Titchmarsh talking about Alan Titchmarsh has connections with our university doesn't he Sam? yeah he's like the president I never knew that or something chancellor whatever you call it anyway Alan Titchmarsh the gardener said if you only had one tool they asked him if you only had one tool that you could use in your garden what would it be? he said it would be a garden hoe Now, I've looked this up this morning, and a hoe is an ancient and versatile agricultural and horticultural hand tool used to shape soil, remove weeds, clear soil, and harvest root crops. I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. I really don't. We we have a small amount of soil in our... In fact, I was thinking this morning as I was preparing this, I'll buy one of these for you for your birthday, darling. she's, she's She's really into the garden stuff.